Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. God, as we just sang lyrics to these incredible songs of truth, may you make them alive in our hearts and in our lives, that truly it would be Christ in and through us who is um, working and leading and stirring us towards your ways. Holy Spirit, uh, this is yours. This time gathered in our living rooms, this time where we're watching, where we're peering into uh, your word, this is your time. So Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would just take it and use it as you see fit. Change us, transform our hearts uh, by your power. That is the only hope we have of change. And so Lord, we submit this to you in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. We are going to be in part two, like I mentioned last week, um, in finishing up Acts chapter 10 in verses 23 through 48. And uh, while you're getting your Bibles or while you're turning there, just uh, by way of announcements, um, just want to let you know that we as elders and as church leaders, we are praying and uh, processing through uh, our next steps as a corporate body and gathering and all those things. So continue to pray for us. If you were one of those um, in our uh, database that received our questionnaire, uh, thank you if you filled it out. If you didn't fill it out, go into your email and uh, fill it out for us. Help us out. That information really, really uh, helps us as we prayerfully consider what to do uh, next. If you didn't get that email and you're an active participant in our church, email us. We'd love to, to share that with you and get your feedback as well. Um, okay, so Acts chapter 10, part one. I'll catch you up if, if, you, if you missed last week, which you can go watch, uh, or, or you can just uh, hear it this way. Um, we met a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius uh, is a Gentile, particularly he's a Roman centurion soldier um, who was, uh, the Bible says, a, a God-fearer. He was a devout man. He was generous. He was uh, a man of great character, uh, the Bible portrays him as. But however, he didn't grow up, maybe like many of you, uh, he didn't grow up around uh, the language or, or the familiarity with the things of Yahweh or God. He didn't grow up obviously Jewish. He wasn't Jewish. And so a lot of the things he's learning about the one true God are all new. Uh, and so last week we saw how an angel shows up to Cornelius and tells him uh, that someone, Peter, is going to deliver a message, like that, that Cornelius doesn't know the whole story, right? He doesn't know the rest of the story and the Savior of, of, of Jesus being the Messiah, and so someone is going to deliver that message to him. And so that, that was kind of part one with Cornelius. And then you have Peter, right, this, this disciple. Uh, he received a message as well from the Lord uh, on, on really a reconfiguration, a changing, and a entire shift in, in Peter's paradigm and thinking about how he relates to God. It was kind of this breaking of prejudice and legalism with now this encounter with grace because Peter is going to be the one who brings this message to Cornelius of the gospel. And so, so the Lord was really stripping Peter last week. And so we left kind of abruptly uh, in the middle of Acts 10, Peter going, all right, hesitantly, I will go share the message of the gospel. And so where we pick up in verse 23, let's look at it. Um, we can see, we'll, we'll read a little, uh, pause and talk and, and read a little and, and do it that way this morning. And it says this, the next day he, that's Peter, rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. 
Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. In verse 25, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. All right, so, so pause there. So what we have here are two worlds are colliding, right? This, this Gentile Roman centurion soldier and this, this uh, Jewish apostle of the Messiah Jesus, right? They are, 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 are colliding in their lives, but more beautifully than that is that this is a milestone in redemptive history, that what's taking place before our eyes is one of these incredible turning points in the book of Acts. And, and so very honestly, Luke portrays the, the scene here with Cornelius seeing Peter who shows up. What does Cornelius do? It says that he falls at Peter's feet and worships him. And so very quick out of the gate, kind of the, the main point here is obvious. Cornelius is, is worshiping the wrong guy. You see, throughout the, old, uh, the New Testament, we find people who are tempted to worship someone other than God when God is even moving. Peter is one of them. In Acts uh, 14, we see this same thing uh, with Paul and Barnabas in, in, in Lystra, where, where they say the gods have visited us when these uh, incredible miracles happen, and they begin to make sacrifices or want to begin to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul stops them and says, listen, no, we are just human beings. Even John, the, the writer of Revelation, in Revelation 22, 9, it's, it's this picture where it says that, that John fell down and worshiped this angel. And here's what the angel says to him. Get this in, in verse 9. You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of the Lord. Here's what the angel says. Worship God. You see, what this from the word of God shows us is that there is a tendency in all of us to worship that which is right in front of us. Things that are good, things that are even from God, but cannot and should not and will never replace him. John Calvin, he most adequately defined uh, idolatry as this, as worshiping of the gifts in place of the giver himself. Thus, a false idol or false worship to something is not just about an object, but it's anything we put on a pedestal which can seize the praise deserve of our God. You see, even in the church, even in Christian circles, this can occur both knowingly and, and, and most times unknowingly, right? Where, where, where the messenger is praised more than God where more stock and more weight is given to the person that is giving the message than, than, than the very giver, right? The capital G giver himself. Charles Spurgeon, he says this. He says, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. Like Peter was quick when Cornelius fell to his feet. And said, and began to worship him. And who knows what he said. He said, listen, stand up, man. I am, I am like you. I, I, I'm just merely a man. Peter understood that worship should not and will never terminate on him, but is meant to be for God alone. I would wonder in, in this season, particularly as we quarantine, as we, we get away, what are the things 
that God is revealing graciously to us. That maybe we have fall praying to worshiping, to, to bowing down, right? The good gifts, not just things that, 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 that are sinful, but the good gifts God gives that we have lifted as ultimate. What, what is God graciously emptying before us so that we might see him more clearly? What are those things in this season he's stripping away that we put so much stock, that we, that we laid our lives down for, that in the end do not give us what they promise? You see, this is this small, quick picture we see with Cornelius that Peter corrects and props him back up. He says, you have to understand this first, that there is one place that worship belongs, and that's before God. And so let's keep reading, verse 27. He says this, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. All right, here is a completely change, a completely changed Peter from what we saw last week in part one. Right, where Peter is now coming before them and going, listen, um, I came without hesitation, he says in verse 29. I wonder if he even like choked on that one because we know from last week that Peter did hesitate. However, there is a changed heart that has taken place in Peter. And what we need to see is this, that God alone changes Peter's heart. That this is a work, not of Peter's own strength, not of, 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 of other people. This is God's work of his spirit alive in Peter alone. And we need to understand this fact. Only God changes hearts. Only God is the one who breaks us graciously and remakes us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If there is any hope of change in you or in me or in any of, 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 of those around us in this season or in any other season, it is only by the Holy Spirit. It is only his work in us that changes us. It's only the Spirit's work that allows Peter to come to this place with Cornelius and these other Gentiles and in this place of going, listen, God has brought me here. He's brought me here to declare his word and his gospel to you. And you even know this, that before I would have never showed up here. It was unlawful for me to do this. But I, here I am. God has changed my heart. God is remaking me. God is rearranging my ideals. And let's read, keep reading in verse 30. He says this, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. All right, and so now in this scene in verses 30 through 33, we see this spectacular uh, receptivity to the gospel. Did you hear Cornelius? He just recounted the story of the angel. Then he says, here we all are in the presence of God to listen and to hear what you have to speak to us, Peter. You see, we were um, in a staff meeting this, this past week, and uh, 
Sam brought up something that uh, Tim Keller, uh, an author and former pastor up in New York, was talking about at a, at a conference lately. And he, he was sharing about this time in this, this, this season of quarantine and how um, in, 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 in a few ways it's similar to 9-11. And one of the similarities that uh, he believes that we'll find and we would agree with him is that there is going to be a receptivity to the gospel. There is going to be a, a time in which the Lord allows graciously people to have open ears and open eyes because of the state we find ourselves in to hear the gospel in a fresh way, to believe it, and for us to see salvation like never before. With these Gentiles, this was fertile ground that Peter was speaking the gospel to. Listen, church, this is what we are praying for in our community, in McKinney, in, in our area, that the Lord would allow us to be part of the harvest that he is doing in this season. That, that this won't, listen to me, this won't last forever. There will be a time where this receptivity is, is, is over, but we need to ask ourselves now, will we steward Right? Will we steward the call of God to be faithful witnesses in our community in this time, or will we squander it? Will we squander it um, with, 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 with wasted time in front of screens? Will we squander it with, with self-centered thoughts and self-preservation? Or will we see and speak the heart of the gospel in times like this? And so here's where I just want to pause and for us to process a question, right? And I want to process the question, why do you believe this season affords the church the privilege and unique opportunity to share the gospel? And why would it be more received in this season versus others? So take time, dialogue that, and we'll be right back together.
All right, so let's uh, continue on in, in Acts. We'll pick up in, in verse 34, because just because there's a group of people who are receptive to the gospel, there has to be the message of the gospel. And so here is where Peter begins to speak the message of the gospel, verses 34 through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he has sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is Peter laying out the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Gentiles. There's two things I want you to notice here that that Peter uh, brings in. One, it's honest. It is an honest articulation of the gospel, even in things that, that Peter struggled with. Look at it at the very beginning in verse 34. God shows no partiality. That, that's what he struggled with last week, what we talked about. God has no favorites. There is no, no group of people who have a higher priority before God. And Peter is saying this to a group of Gentiles who, who used to believe that. He goes, no, the gospel levels the playing field. But it's not just honest. It's also accurate. So if you have your Bible, go to, to John chapter 10, verse 16. I'm going to flip there as well. John chapter 10, 16. This is the word of Jesus to his disciples. And I found this very interesting because I think Peter is just getting clarity on this fact of what Jesus was saying here. And Jesus says, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. They'll be receptive of the gospel. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is one flock, one church, capital C church, and one shepherd, and his name is Jesus. Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter is getting this. Peter is grasping this and seeing this explosion of salvation in the Gentiles right before his eyes as he articulates the gospel. Listen, again, I want to highlight, like I said last week, that the place that, that even Peter highlights up front illuminates that there is no place for bigotry or prejudice or racism or, or, or priority on people or people groups in the Christian church, in the church of Jesus Christ. That is dead and gone and over. He's also appealing to Cornelius and most likely this audience that's hearing their local knowledge of the facts their knowledge that Jesus Christ was the one who was crucified on a tree, that in him salvation and forgiveness of sins is found. 
What we find here in Acts 10 is an interesting um, kind of parallel to the sermon that Peter preached after Pentecost. If you remember that sermon that, that Peter preached after Pentecost, it was this powerful kind of polarizing message of the true gospel. It was honest and it was accurate, but it was to mainly a Jewish audience. But here what we have is two Gentiles, and it is a very straightforward, short, concise, core gospel message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, this, this picture in Acts, what, it, what it's doing is really showing us a picture of what it means to be winsome in how we share the gospel, to actually contextualize the message of the gospel to those that we are around. That it's, that it, yes, it is one core message, but how we deliver it and how we share it is not a one-size-fits-all thing. As we see here with Peter, this is not just an articulate message, but this is a wise way and a compelling way to share the gospel. And let's, let's finish this and see what happens here in Acts 10. Pick it up in verse 44. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God or worshiping God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Do you hear the change that the Holy Spirit has done in Peter? Last week, do you remember his reluctancy? Do you remember him even going, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that was unclean. I've never been around anyone who, 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 who I shouldn't be around who might defile me. Now he's going at the end of chapter 10, he's going, listen, what's preventing them from being baptized just like we have? He's putting himself in family with these Gentiles. Also in this section, do some of these things not sound reminiscent of an earlier section in Acts? Where they were hearing the word, or they were praying, and the Holy Spirit falls with these signs and these wonders. Right, It's almost like another level of Pentecost, but now the Holy Spirit falling on the Gentiles. And there are these signs and these wonders and this extolling or worship of God is, being, is going forth from this people group. You see, Peter here, it's like he ends. He is so fired up by the movement of God that these people have heard the gospel and have responded and the Holy Spirit is filling them with power just like it has filled these Jews who have experienced it. What's the turning point for Peter? What's the change? You see, we see this change obvious in Cornelius in these Gentiles that the salva that salvation of Jesus Christ has come to them. They are full of the Holy Spirit, but there's also this incredible change in Peter. What was that moment? That moment was when he surrendered. That moment was when he turned and truly submitted his life and his preference and all that he was about, his message, right? which was to one audience before, but it's to all nations now. It's when he submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That changed everything. That changed everything. That changes this entire trajectory of, of Peter's life. 
And listen, as we go through Acts, we'll still see some struggle in Peter, but this is a paradigm shift in the book of Acts and also in Peter's life, that this is the grace of God in salvation with Cornelius and in transformation with Peter. And so uh, this morning, as we emailed you and told you we would be taking a communion, we would be remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so if you need to go get your elements uh, this morning, uh, hit pause and, and, and go get them and, and whatever you need to do to, to, to grab uh, something to remember the, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, I can even be real honest with you this morning, right? I, I, I'm using a, uh, I had to steal a, a juice pack from, from my kids to fill up my cup with juice. And so we're, we're, we're making it happen. But the most important thing we can do this morning with this is to worship, right? Is to honor and to do exactly what Jesus said to do with his disciples. And that is to remember his sacrifice. And so we want to do that even though we're scattered. We want to do that together. And so um, I'm going to first take the, the bread and remind us that God's word said that, that as Jesus took the bread with his disciples after giving thanks, he, he broke it. And he said that this represents his body that is broken for you and for me. And so that every time we take this broken bread, it should remind us of his broken body. And so let us take the broken bread together, remembering. And in the same manner, and night, he took the cup. And he said that this cup represents the new covenant. That this, co this covenant, uh, it, is, it, is, it is founded and it is, it is found in the blood of Jesus Christ alone. So when we take this cup, we are, we are remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ for us so that we could enter into eternal life and life to the fullest with Jesus Christ through this new covenant. And so church, let us take the cup together, remembering the blood of Jesus Christ. And like we always say, there's one fitting response after we take communion, remembering the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, that is worship. So I'm gonna pray uh, to, to, to begin our worship, then this video is gonna go away and I pray that you would worship either individually or corporately in your living room together. So let us lift our voices in prayer right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your incredible sacrifice for us that secures our salvation. Lord God, I pray just as we read in Acts 10, that we would be a people who are faithful witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we even, just, we even just took in the form of bread and juice, remembering the gospel. Um, God, with, with, with that set of senses, Lord God, I pray that you might help us this week to not squander moments, but steward them for your glory. That, that as we see the receptivity of the gospel growing and growing in our community and in our city and in our neighborhood, uh, God, that we would be faithful stewards of that. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see people like you want us to see them, Lord God. Change us, transform us like Peter. Lord God, for those listening who don't know you, God, may there be a transformation like Cornelius in this group of true salvation that would come in men and women and children who are, who are even listening to this, this message this morning. For your glory, we do all this, we say all this. It's for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
love you all so much. Have a great week.